I was in LA a couple of weeks ago for a benefit gala and I'm on the red carpet and I see everybody. And when I tell you everybody from, you know, the Def Jam years came out, I was amazed. And it's 50 years of hip hop uh, yeah, celebration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I see Redman and I haven't seen him in a really long time. I don't even want to do the math. Sure. But he's right where you are. And he says hi to me, but the whole time he's got a camera and he's shooting. And he's, he, he's talking to me from the other side of the camera. And I am trying to just say hello. And I thought I was going to take a picture or, you know, with him. Yeah. And it ended up just being him photographing me and me <laughs> photographing him. That's modern life. The only difference is he's shooting video yeah. and I'm, you know, on my iPhone. And I thought, okay, he's not going to come from behind the camera. Not once. Really? And I was like, okay. Like, we already know each other. Sure. So, you know, I was like, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like to see some of those people from the past? It, it was wonderful to see all of those folks. You, you know what it's like if you're in grade school and then you get bumped up to high school or college <laughs> and you you see the same people and everybody's warm and fuzzy mm. and friendly and they're actually excited to see you and they want to talk about things that either they do not remember or they only know it happened because it's in print. Yeah. As it relates to me and my work. Yeah. And if you have on a tuxedo, somehow they know you succeeded because most people would just wear a suit. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's like a high school reunion. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess it is. Only uh, some people are billionaires <laughs> and we can yeah, yeah, yeah. count on half of one hand who yeah. those people are. Sure, sure. And, and some have an album coming soon. Uh, that is true. That is definitely true. But I have to say, every single person, even the billionaires, sure. are really wonderful. And yeah. it was so much fun to see them. That's beautiful. And just following folks on Instagram, you sort of get the gist of how their sure. life is doing. Yeah. But to be in front of them is really wonderful. And for them to ask how you're doing and how your family is doing and it's just great. And it's exactly what you hope would happen. Yeah. Yeah. That these people are still people. the same. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. people. They're, yeah. they're just, they're just legendary people. Yeah. And, uh, and very, very rich. You got to <laughs> throw that in there. <laughs> Three, two, one. Kevin. How are you? What are you not not excited to see me? I'm excited to see you, but I'm really excited to see our guest because we have a <laughs> yeah, legendary fucking guest in the building. His name is Say Adams. Uh, you've heard the silky smooth voice. And you see him on all the uh, the cameras. We have lights in the building. Um, Say Adams is a New York City native visionary artist who emerged from the downtown graffiti movement in the 80s alongside some uh, some small artists you may have heard of uh, uh, Basquiat, Herring, Warhol. 
uh, shut down the pod right now. Most legendary uh, sort of uh, bio uh, I've ever read here. Adams began his art career in his teens, tagging up subway cars and painting graffiti murals. Uh, and even appeared in the Style Wars documentary, the infamous, just a landmark film uh, in 1983. Say Adams met my personal favorite Beastie Boys, Adam Horowitz, uh, aka the King Ad Rock, and uh, developed a lifelong relationship. We're going to talk about the Beastie Boys a little bit. And then went on to be the creative director for Def Jam, where uh, the work is astounding. Iconic album covers, logos, advertising campaigns, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, Slick Rick, Public Enemy, DMX, Jay-Z, Notorious B.I.G. Usher, Mary J. Blige, and so many more. He's also collaborated with uh, brands, uh, brands like Levi's, Mattel, Apple. How about this, say, this this bio, IDEO, Foot Locker, Converse. And these days, he's kind of uh, returning back to his uh, fine art roots with an exhibition in Austin and a traveling retrospective of his work called Departure, 40 Years of Art and Design. Last year, debuted in Boston and uh, was traveling around Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Coming to New York anytime soon? Okay. All right. Say Adams, welcome to Front Center. We are so honored to have yeah. you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, listening to you roll off my bio, yeah. I, I felt like I could just leave and go home. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know, I know. I was like, wow, that guy's done a lot. Like, He's I, done it, there it is. Know, there I it is. Like, I gotta go and check my bank account because <laughs> it, it, somehow it, it, it it's not uh, balancing with all of the stuff that you just rolled off. You have a life uh, experience wealth. That's what I like <laughs> to say, you know, a life resume. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's uh, in the bank account, but I'm sure- Grandkids can't eat that. Uh, you know, but- <laughs> Listen, you got stories, and that's why you're here. Uh, we met in Vancouver. We were both doing some yes. talks, and I was just in the audience and uh, watching you on stage just show my entire childhood on screen. Just that this is uh, what I do with the DMX. Uh, this is what I do with the Beastie Boys. Chappelle show, just hit after hit, and I'm sitting in the crowd, jaw on the floor. And then uh, I got to meet you, and uh, you're a nice, normal person. Uh, what the fuck is uh, up with that? You're you're kind and talented. Uh, you know, it's 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 shocking. You know, you can't have a bigger ego than a recording artist. I could just okay, tell you that. There right you go. Now, so you're you're behind the scenes. Yes. And, uh, any has has anyone ever uh, you know sort of asked you? Uh, has they anyone put you in in front of the camera or? In well, any... a lot now. Yeah. I mean, the 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 work that I did it. it you could, it just feels like it was a hundred years ago when I think about all those anniversaries hitting their 25 mark, 30 mark, 35 mark. That's a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so intrigued about like what it was like to be a designer in that time and, you know, an artist. So, um, we'll start at the very beginning for a second and we'll get there quickly. But you grew up in Queens, not too far from here. Um, when did you first discover that like art was your passion and that was what you wanted to be? When the doctor slapped me on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> he said, welcome to the world. Say so you're an artist. I, I've been an artist my whole life. Yeah, yeah. Grade school, uh, middle school, high school, you name it. You, you pick, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, a year and I could tell you what I was doing as it relates to art. Yeah. It, it's just something that I've been doing for a really long time. Now, if you ask how I was earning a living, that's another story. And so you started doing graffiti high school, and then you went to school of visual arts. 
What did you study there? Design. I, you know, I thought I was going to be a painter, but you, you, you find out really quickly that not a lot of people can figure that out when they're in their you know, late teens, to early 20s. And I don't want to say I was disillusioned by the, the way the real world worked, but I was disillusioned by the way the real world worked. <laughs> and so when did you meet Adam Horowitz? Like, when, well, when did that happen? Where did that happen? I met all three of the Beastie Boys. So, okay. you know, we don't want to leave Mike Dia and uh, Adam Yauk out. But uh, we met in front of a, a nightclub called Dance Terrier. I want to say like 1981 in there. Um, and I was just trying to get into the club like a lot of people. And this is back when the Velvet Rope was legendary. And if you didn't know the person on the door, you were not going to get in. And, and it didn't matter uh, who you thought you were. They had to think that you were somebody in order to let you in. And, and so the guys in the band befriended me and, and that was the first thing that I remember, them helping me get in dance interior. And then, you know, after that, you know, I was... Were they like, yeah, we're, we're, we're a band. We, uh, we were a group of uh, performers, rappers. And like, like what, was, this, what were they like at that time? This before the rapping part. This is when they were a punk band. Yeah. And Adam and my friend Dave Skilkin were in a band called The Young and the Useless. And then the the Beasties, you know, were a band, but uh, Kate Schellenbach was also in the band. So yes. they were a, a, a completely different animal at that time. But for me, they just reminded me of friends that I'd had in Queens, and I just liked their energy. And, you know, that was really it. It wasn't even about the music by the time they approached me i hadn't even I, I think cookie puss was a single and i had heard that but these are really early years yeah. i don't know if you can even process what i'm I, saying i cannot um unfortunately kevin really can't because he was born like you know 30 years after this um <laughs> but no i mean i grew up listening to the beastie boys and uh, i read their book and i'm i'm a huge fan and I think, yeah, learning about those early, you know, sort of Lower East Side years, it just, yeah, it does feel out of a movie for me because oh, yeah. I can't, I can't picture it. So, but I, I want to like understand it from like a designer perspective. So you become friends with them and then they're like, yeah, we have this band. We're going to put out this album. Can you make us a not, logo? Not, not, not even an album. They <laughs> had one single song. They had uh, an EP out uh, called Polywog Stew. And they were releasing uh, Cookie Puss as a single. And it's a joke, right? It's like a parody song. Well, <laughs> I, I think they were very serious about what they were doing, but they were having fun while they were doing it. Yes. I, I don't, you know, I think they wanted it to be received, you know, by as many folks as possible. What I remember the most was they had a, a pretty big crew of folks that, they hung out with and so there was Dante Ross and Wolf and like I said Dave Skilkin and uh you know there was uh you know a couple of you know female friends but they 
they had a lot of people in, in their crew. And so I felt like I was adopted by them. And then all of a sudden I was a part of their crew. And this is years before License to Ill. So yeah. you, you have to imagine that, you know, the closest thing that I can relate it to is something like the Little Rascals. <laughs> and I, and I, I, yeah. I, I've never just a made that of analogy yeah, yeah, before, yeah. but we were just having fun. And I was from Queens, but I was coming downtown. And the, the East Village, the West Village, all of that was completely foreign to me because I, you know, I just didn't know how to get in any of these clubs. I didn't know where they were, you know, whether it was, you know, A7 or the Mud Club. They knew all of that. And so you would just show up and say, I'm with these guys. And I they, didn't have they to say people. anything. When they went to the door, the doorman was just and, how many and yeah. we, were, we were inside. And, and so they were just like locally famous, like yeah. just because they were just, yeah. just good time. Yeah. And so... Were you the only artist in the crew? Like, were you were you the art guy, or they no, had other artists? Um, that- Dave Skilkin, rest in peace, was uh, an aspiring graphic designer, but at that point, he was just uh, into graffiti, and, and you know, the, the other guys sort of dabbled. Okay. But you know, I don't want to give the impression that they wrote graffiti sure. because I know that folks that took that really seriously might take offense to me saying that. So I will just say Skilkin was probably more excited about it than anybody else, but even his participation was limited to just sort of bombing in the West Village. Did you consider yourself a graphic designer at that time? Was that no, even like a thing that, no, yeah. Not, well, uh, not, I'm trying to do the math. No, not really, no, yeah. because it, it, it's, it predates the drawing board and, and all of that, and Def Jam, you know, hadn't started yet. So what I was was somebody that had graphic sensibility. Okay. I will say. And so <laughs> so when you have graphic sensibility and you're like, hey, we need a logo, we need an album cover for this new song. Like how did I'm so fascinated by the tools. Like what how did you send them or get, like you didn't just send them a Dropbox link and put it in their email, right? So it's like no. how did they how did you make something for them and then give it to them? The same tools that we use now, a, a Sharpie, a pencil, <laughs> uh an exacto knife, a T-square, but they knew they wanted something that looked like graffiti. Okay. So that wasn't difficult. I, I, I knew how to do that. And so you drew they, it. They, yeah, I, I drew it and then took gave it, it to <laughs> Kinko's, uh, which is FedEx office now. Um, Sponsor the pod. They wanted to use it on T-shirts and flyers. Yeah. And so it didn't have to be camera ready. It was fine. And I did uh, quite a few variations of it um, recently. Beyond the Streets did an exhibition not that far from here. Yeah. And this was, I think, the, the first uh, Beyond the Streets in New York. They did one in L.A., and then a few years later, they came to uh, Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yeah. And they commissioned me to make a giant replica mural of the original Beastie Boys logo. And so I hand-painted this thing as an installation for this exhibition. Adam Horowitz and the Beastie Boys kept 
everything that I'd made from that period. And so they had all these original. little original drawings that I had done. And I hadn't seen a lot of that stuff since the 80s. And I was amazed that they saved and they everything. And now when Beyond the Streets is traveling uh, around the world, those original drawings are in those exhibitions as long as they're representing a, a, a Beastie Boys installation. It just depends because, you know, they seem like they're going all over the world and I don't know when it's included and when it's not. I just know. Yeah. I usually see things on the internet. And that's how I know. Oh. You're like, oh yeah, there's my drawing <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's, it's in a museum. A, yeah. You know? that's, that's, that's a, yeah, we all have that feeling. Yeah, that happens to all of us. Yeah, it happened to me just yeah, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, that happens all the time. Um, so, after sort of that sort of early design work in hip hop, is that the first thing you'd ever done with an artist? Was it the Beastie Boys? No, I did uh, a single for the uh, the you know maybe it was. I was gonna say I, <laughs> I did um, the uh, the real Roxanne, but I think that was that was a little bit later, like just a few years later. Because I, I don't want to get my math mixed up. <laughs> well, we have the math here. So from there, you meet Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin. They were creating a little record label called Def Jam. What was the where was what was the status of that? Because famously, it started in NYU dorm room. Like, when did you sort of enter the picture there? Right then and there. Okay. Oh, um, <laughs> when Adam and, and the guys meet Rick, I, yeah. I met him at the same time. Yeah. Um, and when Rick was putting the label together he was a dj yeah and he knew exactly what he wanted the def jam logo to look like and so the def jam logo was an homage to dj as in the dj and so rick designed it he well i should say he art directed it <laughs> and he had uh, a young person that went to nyu do the physical graphics and then, uh, you know, he gave it to me to take a look at and said, you know, what do you think of this? And I was like, okay. But he, <laughs> he had it all mapped out himself. I yeah. mean, he probably wouldn't go into a whole lot of detail about it, but he designed that logo and, and he supervised the execution and everything. I was just there. And so they brought you in to be what is the founding creative director of this business? Well, that's uh, all business? beautiful language. I was going to say, but... did that, like, did they have an office? Was this a, did they have a business, did you get a business card, health insurance? Like, what type of job is this at this time? You know, like I, I tell people, it was more like a clubhouse <laughs> where people had like-minded ideas and nobody went home. So it was, it was, you know, and that's why I, I yeah. liken it to a clubhouse because it was a lot of hanging out and a lot of people waiting for their dreams to come true. Yeah. So less of a company and an office and more just like a, <laughs> a group of people hanging out together. But they did real business yeah. and, and people aspired to real greatness. But the, the, um, the early years of Rush Artist Management were also overlapping. And a lot of what I'm remembering is when Rush was around and Rush predates Def Jam by quite a few years. And so Rush managed the Beastie Boys before License to Ill. They managed Run DMC, Public Enemy, LL Cool J, uh, Jimmy Spicer, Slick Rick. 
Yeah. Uh, the EPMD, Stetsasonic, De La Soul, Iconic. Eric B. and Rakim, yeah. Big Daddy Kane. So they managed people that were not necessarily on Def Jam as well. But that was real, you know, where my entry point it, it comes in. So I'm at Rush and I, I meet Russell. And, and this is even before I met Rick. I met Russell first. Yeah. And then I met Rick. So by the time Rick and Russell meet, I'm I'm just in part the of mix. the fabric. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it it's also like there was not a lot of talking about what needed to be done. It's just you are in the room and you can survey the situation and you realize, oh, there's a lane for me right here that nobody's, you know, going down because everybody's in the I want to be a rapper, producer, DJ, sure. songwriter, and I'm in the yeah. graphic design graffiti <laughs> lane, and I'm and there's all not a lot of myself. other people yeah. there. You're like someone's got to make this album the, artwork, and it looks like me. And the only person that was working there, you know, in in a, a freelance capacity, was my buddy Eric Hayes, okay. because he was doing graphics for Legendary. Rush. So he did the Rush artist management logo. He did the logo for EPMD um, and, and a, a bunch of other things for other labels. But Eric was the one that, you know, really showed me how to do traditional cut and paste graphics and how to use all of the tools. And then I, I had to, you know, take that and sort of go off and, and really, you know, carve out, you know, what my lane was going to be. Because at, at Def Jam, it was more like if, if you did not, make a place for yourself there would be no place because everybody was just preoccupied doing their thing did artists give you vision or like briefs or like uh inputs of what they wanted their artwork to be some bands did but most of them were this is their first record sure and i think they put all their time and energy into the music and when it came to doing a photo session, that was sort of the, the closest thing that they got to uh, participation. When it, it came to things like graphics and logos, they didn't really you know, play a, a serious role in that unless you went to them and you sat them down and you explained how a logo gets designed. And most of the time, they, they just trusted you to gonna, do yeah. what you do and trusted the label yeah to just handle that part of yeah they just wanted to make sure that their photo was right and (laughs) they look good on the cover a lot of people understand yeah no it makes sense and so how involved was rick in sort of like creative vision of of all the sort of artwork because you know today you know as of this year he's a creative visionary guru that you know everyone you know has looks up to because he's got a book and you know he is he's been a hero of mine for a long time was he involved in sort of helping shape everyone's sort of vision for Rick their art? Never seemed to not know what he wanted. He Oof. never seemed yeah. indecisive. He always knew. He always knew. And, and the same way he knows with the music. Yeah. He was that way with visuals too. He was just in it deep. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Ghetto Gastro providing the uh, the 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 bop tarts uh, and the the toaster pastries uh, for the show. Um, so yeah, no, I mean it's just so interesting to me to think about sort of 
early Def Jam record album art. Like as at some point you create an internal company inside of Def Jam called the Drawing Board. What? How big was Def Jam at that point, and why? Why did you decide to sort of have like an internal creative sort of uh, brand? Well, the idea came from myself and my partner Steve Carr, and the idea was that we knew we couldn't do it alone. You could feel the label growing. We thought we're going to need support staff, and we didn't have any money. <laughs> and so we thought if we went to Def Jam and we got a small business loan, we could staff up, and then we could handle all the, these other projects. But we we sort of saw the writing on the wall right from the start. And to Def Jam, what we were doing was small potatoes. To them, okay, we wanted to start you know, start a design firm, and, and we wanted to, you know, buy some computer equipment. <laughs> and this is the early days of Apple. Sure. And, you know, to spend ten thousand dollars to outfit. A studio back then might as well have been a million. <laughs> <laughs> and and but you did it. We did it. Yeah. And, and how many people were sort of part of this? Uh, well, in the beginning, team? it was Steve and I and an intern, mm -hmm. and then we hired one designer and then another and then another and then you know yeah. at, at one point we had about fifteen people working for us. It, it was quite a bit. Yeah. They that sounds a lot out, like Center. That's it. Exactly how our origin story. Me and. Rick Rubin and 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 uh, they were DMX. putting out um, a yeah. lot of music, and we had to keep up. And when the drawing board started to make noise, no pun intended, <laughs> um, we started getting calls from other labels. Okay. So we didn't aspire to you know work with all of these record labels. It was just that people started calling us because the music took off. Sure, and. People look on the credits and they say, oh, we, we want those guys. And what we thought was interesting was that we wanted to have our own identity independent of just the, the art department because we thought what we were doing was that important. And I, I knew right from the start that my individual goal was always about elevating the form of black art to a higher level because prior to that the the R&B records that were coming out they just look like the same stuff that came out in the 70s although at least in the 70s they were using cool illustration like we think <laughs> about parliament and things like that and then I think they just sort of lost their way and everything was you know a, a white backdrop and the guys in a silk suit and I was just <laughs> like this, this can't be the fate of Hip hop, yeah. And so, how much of that music were you a fan of? Would you listen to? Would you get to hear like the the albums before it came out? Oh, certainly. Start, yeah. yeah. I mean, we would sit in a a conference room and we would listen to the music with the artists, and yeah, they wanted to make sure you really understood it inside and out. And it was a small label, and everybody there was really passionate about what they were doing. And you know, the funny thing is. Um, the other day I was in LA for a 50th anniversary get together with all of the folks from Def Jam 
and we were uh, honoring my friend Leo Cohen. I mean, when I tell you everybody was there, yeah, everybody was there. Jay-Z, Diddy, Ludacris, Jermaine Dupree. Like, just go down the, the roster of all of these people, and everybody was there. You know, Red Man, Method Man, uh, you know, T.I., Swiss <laughs> Beats. It was just everybody. Leo has touched so many people sure. over a 40-year period. Uh, and it, it just everybody came out to support him. Uh, Warren G, Domino, just, I, I, you know, I could just sure. think about everybody that was on that label and all the music that they put out. They were all there. And, and you know, Slick Rick kicks off the night and uh, my friend uh, DJ Cassidy does this thing called Pass the Mic. And it's literally just one person comes on, they do a, a hit Next person comes on, a hit, <laughs> yeah. a hit, a hit, a hit, a hit. I mean, Curtis Blow, Slick Rick, it just went on and on and on. And you're just thinking, what more could they possibly do? And then all these folks go off stage uh, after Public Enemy closes it out with Fight the Power. They all leave the stage. And then DJ Jazzy Jeff comes on. <laughs> and you're like, huh? And, you know, you, I, I'm thinking, you know, Jazzy Jeff and the Freshmen, so are they getting back together? <laughs> and, and, you know, um, I had no reason to think anything different. And then LL comes out. And he proceeds to just rip the stage <laughs> in two. And I'm telling you, it was already at 15. <laughs> because Public Enemy closed it out. And then LL comes on, and it's just like, psh, and he's the first artist of Def Jam. Yeah. And he is at the top of his game. And man, I, I, I was a little kid again. Yeah. And we just had the best time. How does it feel to sort of be in this moment now, looking back, knowing that these artists that were just, you know, your, your clients, right? And just, you know, partners, collaborators, friends, transform the music industry, transform the world. And, you know, really, um, their impact is is lasts and uh, spreads to every single part of life. Truly, it's it feels great. <laughs> it feels really great. You have to understand that when a lot of time passes, you can't guarantee that people are going to be as excited to see you as they were back in the day. But here we are. Everybody's there. They're all dolled up. We have our <laughs> little tuxedos on, and the women have their cocktail dresses on, and you know, people are just dripping with success. Uh, and it was just really great to have people be as excited to see you as they were in the past, and they want to know how you're doing, what's going on with family. And it just made me feel great because yeah. you, you can't assume that that's the way you're going to be received because so much has happened. And like I said before, you know, we went on the air. Some of these people are billionaires. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not one to count anybody <laughs> else's money, but I have to say it's really impressive to see Jay-Z after all these years and 
to sit down and have a chat with him and, and for it to be warm and fuzzy. And, you know, same <laughs> thing with Diddy. Yeah. And I'm like, good, because <laughs> you, you, you just don't know. And you're excited to be in the room because we all share this, you know, common history. But you don't really know how people are going to respond when they see you. I know how excited I am to see them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because to us, these are, you know, icons, legends, you know, sort of mythical people. But at the same time, these are just human beings like, you know, that, you know, sort of uh, going to eat somewhere tonight for dinner and go to sleep <laughs> and maybe watch, uh, you know, a little bit of reality television. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, they're just people. And I think I'm sure to 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 know them it's like you know again like your high school reunion where there's just some people that it doesn't matter how long you've seen them you just you see them again you're like hey yeah you know like you can just kind of click back in and uh that's pretty uh surreal for those people to be uh billionaires and uh icons like jay and and um again i have so many questions that i want to talk about sort of the you know the the stories behind the artwork and we, you know, don't want to uh, have you here all night. But, uh, you know, I, I have to ask just like DMX, Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood is one of the most iconic album, uh, artworks of all time. Just, you know, personal favorite of Kevin and I's. Like, just take us through some of that. Like, how does that idea get pitched? Like, like what, what is DMX's involvement in this? And like, what, what is it like to work with someone um, like him? Well, the first thing I have to say is, Throughout all my time at Def Jam, I might have about four artists that I think are absolutely brilliant when it comes to creative direction, and DMX is one of those. Yeah. And, you know, a, a cover like that, to me, sort of art directs itself because the, the title is so out there. You really hope he's willing to go there visually in the same way he did musically. And he did. And big shouts to the photographer Jonathan Mannion because he did a lot of the heavy lifting. Jonathan photographed so many things for us at Def Jam. He photographed all of the Jay-Z album covers, or at least the first four. He did every one of DMX's. Um, and then so many others, I can't even name them. But the thing about DMX that was really great was that you would, you would sit down and have a conversation with him about the creative and explain to him what you thought was going to happen. And then he will chime in and say, well, what if we did this and this and this? And a lot of times, budget sort of determines just how far you can push <laughs> things. And you have to remember that this is a time when we're really busy at the studio. Sure. And, and these guys between Jay-Z, DMX, Ja Rule, these guys were putting out two albums a year. That's a lot. 1998. And two to three singles. And that's just those guys. There was a whole thing with all these other, you know, acts that you've never heard of and nobody else has either. Yeah. And we were working on those as well. And we were really busy. And so when you have... DMX's attention and ideas are flowing and you have the support of management and the record company, you want to make it as good as you can make it. And 
we were so busy. I, I never, you know, liked to pat myself on the back because this was a place where you just had to keep going and it was always on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. They never made you feel <laughs> You like, didn't have enough time to overthink yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, and there was no patting you on the back. You did a great <laughs> job. It's always, well, that's why we're you know, here today. What what else is what else you got? What yeah. else is going What's on? What's the next single gonna look yeah. like? Yeah. And and it's just sort of the way you were raised. It's like if you grew up in a military household <laughs> and you just artwork, you don't artwork, know what a artwork. hug feels like. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh yeah, Kevin who uh you know, again there's this thing called the C D single back in the nineties where, you know, you'd put out the album but then there would be a single and that also had its own artwork. Oh, that's crazy. Is that, that. The, is that the stuff they put like in the square on Spotify? Uh that's what they put on Spotify, yeah. Okay. The, now they right. no, they just kinda threw it out. As soon as you yeah. say Spotify, <laughs> I was like, Okay, clearly he's not I got the... I got CDs. Yeah, no, I got I, I just like to get Kevin. My older brother is a big Binder of CDs. That's so right. I'm, I'm, I know what. I know this what is talking the part of the show, and I said I have grandkids older than that. <laughs> I, I don't, but it, you know, yeah, I, you might as well. You might as well. <laughs> Very close, but it is at least you know. It's nice that like some of that album artwork. I you know I know that it's you know it's vi vinyls and CDs are you know. I just read that the iPod they're now selling them again at Urban Outfitters as like oh. retro vintage, which is hilarious. But like the, that artwork is still celebrated. You still probably see it on T-shirts, and you know it's it's it, it's it's lasts. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a nickel <laughs> for every time I saw yeah. a, a DMX t-shirt in Urban Outfits or Ready to Die, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like You should have a nickel for knew? every time. <laughs> yeah, you didn't know, who right? Who knew? Yeah, did, it, Biggie, did you know that Biggie was going to be Biggie? Like, was he just another guy that we were making a, a debut album for? You, you have to understand that <laughs> we were next door neighbors before... Bad Boy even signed him. We were living next to each other on St. James Place. So you knew him? I knew him because yeah. he was doing his hustling thing. Yeah. But that was just, you know, our version of another day at the office. Yeah. Like you just, you know, you see him out there <laughs> hustling and then the next thing you know, he's in the conference room and you're like, that's that guy from my block. That's the guy I saw yeah, down, downstairs. Which is, again, you say it's a matter of factly. To us, this is a movie. You're describing a movie that, you know, legitimately either has been made or will be made. But it, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, mythical creatures and, and, and people that, yeah, just, again, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. Everybody how. comes from somewhere. We are in Brooklyn right now. Yeah. If you could just do the and turn the clock back, yeah, yeah. it would be that time and these people would be walking the earth doing what they do. I know you spent some time in Greenpoint in the 80s. What was it like? Did it have uh, $18 guacamole spots like it does now? No. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. When I used to hang out in Greenpoint in the early 80s, even maybe it might even been the late 70s, like you couldn't walk around without an escort. It, the same way you see in movies when People, you know, are, are walking around in the hood and they are, you, you know, they don't have like an escort. You get checked. It was the same way when you went into white neighborhoods. If you didn't have somebody with you, 
they would run you out of there. If you were lucky, you would just get ran out. And, and that was the thing about growing up with graffiti is that our friends were across the spectrum, you know, black, white, you know, Asian, Latino, all of it. So, you know, we never thought about, you know, what your parents do. We just, you know, if you like somebody's hand styles and they're cool people, the end, that's as far as it went until you had to go to their neighborhood. And they would have to meet you at the train station and escort you in because you were by yourself. That might be the last time anybody sees you. How does it feel now that everyone in Greenpoint is now a creative director? How does that make you feel as someone who has uh, held that title now for? I, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but what I will say is, I'm glad that people have gotten past the idea that Photoshop is, is a, a tool for graphic design, and uh, you know, I I I was so tired of looking at photoshop design you know club flyers <laughs> and i thought nobody's using illustrator or you know <laughs> i could even mention you know quark and yeah, you know quark obviously Express, like indesign yeah. is you know king now but i i, I like it because it, it's it goes right back to the punk rock era it's it's diy yeah the 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 only thing that i hope is that the design is as good as the need to want to do it yourself. Bars. Do you ever get called up by a young SoundCloud rapper or someone that finds you on Instagram <laughs> and wants you to do their album artwork? Sure. Yeah. yeah. You ever entertain I, them? I, I, I've done it a couple of times if I like the music. Okay. Um, but there's just too many people out there and the the likelihood that one of these people is going to be the next LL Cool J or Beastie Boys <laughs> or uh, you know Slick Rick or Jay-Z is probably unlikely, but I, I have done it if, like I said, I like the music and they some of these people just don't take no for an answer. <laughs> the idea and, they, is, and they're telling you they're the next Jay-Z. They're and, telling you. And, and like, if, if they can meet you where you are today in your career and you, you dig the product, there's no reason to say no. But what I don't understand is what do they use the graphics for? Because, <laughs> you know, like to see it on... The internet is not to experience holding a CD or even a cassette or an album in your hand. I, j I just don't understand how it works. It and goes on the grid. Yeah, it goes on the, yeah, the feed. <laughs> I mean, so much of also what you're describing, too, is like the album artwork, not just as like a cover, but as like a piece of like yeah, art, like a, a package yeah. and also like, you know, uh, a fold out, right? There would be, you know, sort of multiple pages, Kevin, you know, there'd be sort of sometimes you can open it up and there'd be a poster. Like there was a sort of a, an art to not just the cover, but the whole thing. And, and I, I, my old boss uh, worked at uh, uh, Rockefeller for a little bit. His name is Chad Hogan. And he has designed some amazing album artworks. And I was always interested in not just the front or the cover, but the insides and all the sort sure. of shout out pages and mm -hmm. the you know documentary style stuff that collage. A lot, a of, lot yeah. of thought went into it. And yeah. I, I still have a whole bin of CD booklets 
and I, you know, Booklet. I, I tossed that was the, word I was the CD yeah. because you know, after a while, it was like, okay, I already have it on vinyl. I saved some of the cassettes, and you start to wonder what you're saving it for, because even if you have an exhibition, the, the album covers sort of are what people are going to tie it back to. Nobody wants to see every format from 150 <laughs> recording artists. They're like, okay, we get it. Yeah, <laughs> They're not interested in the booklets. <laughs> right, right. Well, not from w- that many artists. I mean, we did a lot. <laughs> Do you have them in storage or someplace? Uh, I, I, I have them in my archives. Amazing. If you had to pick, what's your sort of uh, favorite, most proud album artwork that you've done? I know it's I, I would have to say um, it's, a, it's a coin toss between Fear of a Black Planet and uh, by Public Enemy, yeah, and Hello Nasty by the Beastie Boys. Wow, Hello Nasty is because I was, you know, we were looking into your background. Hello Nasty, nineteen ninety eight. I was uh, fourteen years old, and this that I've always been a fan of. The Beastie Please Boys. tell me yeah. that you were at least born. <laughs> I was born. I was okay, th- I was three. Okay, uh, oh my God. and uh, Hello Nasty is uh, yeah. No, that's that's one of my personal favorite records of all time. And the artwork, you know, sardine can, space, uh, sort of a retro type. It just, it's, it's a beautiful package. And I, I, I have yeah, to stop you I got to look right now yeah. and give a big shout out to my friend Bill McMullen because while I owned the design firm, he was my lead designer and he put his foot in it. He did such a beautiful job with that. And this is when... Having the skill of knowing how to use Photoshop really came into play. He spent so much time working with the band and really just long nights putting this thing together. And and I I don't really have a lot of opportunities to talk about it at length. And so I I wanted to acknowledge that because I, I knew he was brilliant then. He's probably doing something brilliant right now. But... That was the thing that I'm most proud of, even independent of the, the, the albums that we designed, was the team that we had. People like Kenny Gravelis, Dee DeLara, again, Bill McMullen, and you know my, my partner and buddy Steve Carr. We yeah. had a rock star team of really interesting, creative people and there's just way too many people to name check. Oh, and Jason Noto from Morning Breath. Like, just so many folks that were just brilliant. And when I, I think about those times, what I remember the most is how much fun we had. And the idea that I was lucky enough to give some of these people their first job opportunities. And now they're you know, in Mars, yeah. because they're so damn talented. That's one of my favorite things about that time period. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, uh, I really resonate with that because to me, that's when, you know, that's, that's, that's what I love to do. It's really about, you know, sort of giving opportunities and sort of helping other people find their footing in the door. And yeah, you know, for, for a young uh, Bill McMullen to do Hella Nasty and that, you know, that album, you know, again, means a lot to a lot of people, myself included, but just, yeah, no, it's about giving to others and really, yeah, opening up the door. And um, I'm on a website right now and I'm looking through all the, you know, sort of the 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 album listing and sort of the artwork and everything. And it's just, it's it's perfect. We had a it's blast perfect. doing it's that. Perfect. And 
this is also where the Beastie Boys are at the height of their fame. Yeah. And they have complete creative control. And we spent so much time thinking about that cover and the inside packaging. We went through a lot of, uh, you know, Chinese and, and Asian takeout <laughs> late nights between recording the music, them recording the music. I don't want yeah. anybody to think I'm saying I was recording <laughs> yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we just went over ideas. And to know that management is not going to get in the way, the record company is not you know, going to get in the way, the idea is what is going to win. And you know, yeah. as creatives, you never have that kind of confidence to think that the best idea will always win. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's a quote here that said that um, they plan to do, a uh, Bill planned to do a weird bottom of the sea type thing. But then Adam actually said, yeah, that's cool. But you know what's really cool? Space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, that's just how uh, genius is born. And so, yeah, no, I mean, there, you have had such an illustrious career. And again, we could talk to you at length about every album. Before you get out of here, I just have a couple others I want to hear about. Chappelle, how does Dave Chappelle enter the picture of, say, Adams's life? And, you know, what was the sort of brief or what was what did he ask for when he said, I need a logo for uh, my show, Chappelle Show? Well, the funny thing is just man like. Three weeks ago, I was with Dave Chappelle and I heard him say to someone else that he asked me to create his Nike swoosh. Wow. And I thought, wow, that is not uh, that's the not way what I rem- That's not what I remember. Because <laughs> I, 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 I think I designed that uh, the Chappelle show logo in... I, I want to say in 2001 and he, he sent me a VHS tape of a couple of skits from Chappelle's show and Chris Rock had introduced the two of us and I heard his name. Maybe he was in whatever the movie is with Eddie Murphy boomerang. I think he, he had a, a small part in that. And so I, I think I had seen that, but by no means did I really know who he was. I, I, I knew he was a comedian. And so when Chris introduced us, we got together and he, like I said, he, he sent me a VHS tape and I, I sort of sat down and I watched it and I thought, man, this guy is really like a throwback to the classic days. And I just immediately wanted to create something that I thought was revolutionary because I thought he was, you know, reinventing comedy one more time. And there's not that many people that have done that uh, as it relates to, you know, black comedians over the last 50 years. I mean, you could count on, you know, half of one hand how many people have broken through in a major way. And, He's one and Chris Rock is another. I can just stop right there. No, nah, legends. You know? Killing them softly. Again, this is my 
this is my Mount Rushmore of favorite things. Hello Nasty, killing them <laughs> softly. And I will say, Dave has put that logo to good use and, over the years. And he, he, he uses it everywhere. A champ. Yeah. You know, I I was saying this to him because I was excited enough that he was using it, you know, with repetition. Yeah. And the same thing with Mary J. Blige. Um, that is something that you hope for, but you cannot control that. And he said this in his own words. He brought me on stage at Madison Square Garden, and this is just a few short weeks ago, and he said, you've helped to make this logo iconic, and I said, I designed it. You made it iconic because you used it in so many different ways. I came up with the creation, but you put the gas in the car. And he gave me a diamond pendant. Oh, <laughs> like not yeah, yeah, unlike yeah, yeah, the yeah. one that you're wearing. You know, no diamonds only. here, but just yes. But he brought me on stage at Master Square Garden. Wow. And now if you've ever been to the garden, any of you listeners out there, you know, I, I, I've been to the garden, <laughs> but to be on stage at the garden and I don't have a guitar in my hand or yeah, a basketball, yeah, yeah, yeah. like forget about <laughs> it. And he pushed this thing around my neck and it was just one of the best feelings ever. Oh, man. Hell of a pat on the back right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a good yeah. thank you. Yeah. You know? uh, sort of a chaining day yeah. moment, right? Yeah. It, 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 you know, I, I can remember the last time I had a piece of jewelry, it was in the 80s. Yeah. I, I did notice you didn't wear it today. To no, the and, 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 and I was thinking I would have. Uh, well, um, well, that's it's it's funny what you're talking about in terms of like logos getting meaning over time. And I think as designers, we all know that you know we'll get a a client or someone that's like, I want something as iconic as the Nike swoosh, and it's like. Well, are you going to create a company as iconic right. as Nike <laughs> and then a check will become a swoosh? Right, exactly. And I think that's a, a great sort of, uh, yeah. you know, sort of story to say, yeah, you created an iconic logo, yeah. but and he turned it into a brand. Sure. I, I couldn't even think of a better way to say thank you. And that's the kind of thing that most creatives would dream about but you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you had a dream that big because the the likelihood is that you're going to be disappointed and i just want to make something that i'm proud of in the moment that works for the client the end i don't even <laughs> allow myself to see it past that the the job is service it's like you're putting food on a plate and the person's sitting down you want them to love it wipe their mouth and say thank you and say that's one of the best meals I ever had. That is incredible advice. Honestly, because I think so many young designers, like they're thinking about what is this going to do for the future, for them, for their career? What is this going to unlock? What's this going to create You know, opportunity for my next thing? And it's like, just do the job and make yeah. the person what something that they're going to love. Yeah. And if then what where it goes from there, you don't know. Like you, I'm sure you have yeah. no control over that. Yeah. And it's easy for me to say what I just said because I've designed so many logos and album covers for people 
you have never <laughs> heard of. Of course. I'm sure way more than once we have. A lot. Yeah. And I w- was walking through the airport just a couple of weeks ago and saw one of those bands. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, I-, I was like, wow, those guys are still out there. <laughs> and nobody turned around with excitement. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. juxtapose that with these amazing, famous people. But that's my reality, knowing that I've done a lot of good work that a lot of people have not seen. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, Stefan Sagmester has a quote, like being a famous designer is like being a famous dentist, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like no one really knows. But for the people that know, you know, again, it's like you can go, you know, at that uh, Urban Outfitters or at the, you know, sort of you see your work or wherever, you know, you're like, you, you know that that's you. And like, but again, that's it's, the job. Yeah, if yeah, you're walking around as a designer, mm-hmm. an art director, a creative director, and you're patting yourself on the back in real time, <laughs> chances are the work is not that good. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. there's a lot of people that have just been put on notice. Uh, <laughs> ego's so, a hell of a drug. Yeah, ego's a hell of a drug. I mean, listen, take it from say, you know, you your your work speaks for itself. Before we get you out of here, I just want to transition or just talk a little bit about your sort of your more recent work as an artist. And obviously, you know, you've um, you've kind of gone back to to making things with your hands again. And uh, I imagine that's very sort of exciting. And a lot of your work explores themes in in brand, in, you know, sort of uh, you know, loyalty, capitalism. And, you know, a lot of that, it seems, you know, inspired by sort of your early years of, you know, sort of rolling with some pop art, you know, heroes and, and guys, you know, talk to me about sort of why, you know, your your work ex- sort of explores that relationship and why it's so exciting well, for you. Well, instantly I, I thought I've been very fortunate in the, you know, to be able to design what I wanted in the music space. And I I just thought there's no way I'm going to continue to keep doing that same thing. Um, I can think about, you know, which recording artists over the last 20 years since I stopped doing design for, you know, brands, um, you know, or or I should say record companies because, you know, brands is something different. But, you could, I could just stop right there and just say, okay, you know what, I've done that. And yeah, I, I just- Box checked. I just thought I wanted to do something different, even if I'm revisiting a place that I came from. And so the idea was, I've, I've done this, there won't be another DMX or Jay-Z <laughs> or Beastie Boys, so let's just move on and, and find something else that I can enjoy doing and maybe find another way to express myself. And so it, it led me to making fine art in the way that I did when I was a teenager, only now I have a, a lifetime of experience behind it. So when I'm, I'm working on things, I'm not trying to impress people. I'm trying to make things for me. And as you were saying before, you were making things for your entire career for just to make other people happy, right? Or to, that's the yeah. job. Yeah. It, it's not about you. It's about servicing the client. And if you're lucky enough to have it come full circle and to satisfy your soul at the same time, mission accomplished. But It's a beautiful thing. And so when I started making this work, the first thing I did was I wanted to celebrate my favorite brands. And so I did a body of work called Trusted Brands. And it's sort of tongue in cheek, 
but I am somebody that is a fan of logos and branding, and I'm not going to make something to disrespect a brand or a logo that I like. It's all in homage. I am not saying that they're perfect, but the idea is really to shine a light on the craftsmanship of these people that design these amazing logos and nobody's doing that right now. Andy Warhol and a bunch of other folks did it in the 50s and 60s and I just thought it was time to revisit that. And the thing that I settled on was thinking to myself, okay, what's the number one brand in America? The American flag. Regardless of you know how individuals see it, yeah, it is you know when you travel to Europe and Asia, they'll let you know in a minute whether they love or hate America. Yeah, it tells you it is the most popular brand in in, in the world. It's got, it's got new meaning these days, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think but that only makes it more interesting, it, right? Yeah. One way or another, you know, for you know good or bad, it's so. It is what is so. It is the most popular brand in America. And I thought I could have some fun by putting a contemporary spin on that, telling some interesting stories about who we are and where we come from, and breaking down the barriers of people seeing red, white, and blue as this sort of patriotic symbol. It's that but it's also about a rainbow of people that have built this country and made it great. So it's not one or the other. It's all and both. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting and so exciting about the work is like, yeah, these brands are, yeah, they, some of them are, you know, they're, they're corporations, you know, they're, they're, they're 150 year old sort of, uh, yeah, entities. And some of them, yeah, they, they have, uh, you know, problematic sections on their Wikipedia and that's part of it, you know, and they're, they're, but they all, and they have different meaning, but they touch all of us, right. In a way, or, you know, we all have a relationship with Coca-Cola. they all get an opportunity to try to correct that with time. And I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't blemishes, but as long as you're trying to be better today, that's the most important thing. And when I get an opportunity to partner with a brand that celebrates diversity and gives me the creative freedom to do my thing, that's any creative's dream. That's exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Somebody that sees you for who you are, respects who you are, yeah. and is going to give you the space to do your thing and not to be on your shoulder micromanaging you. <laughs> well, that last part, you know, we don't always get. Um, but, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it is a gift, right? You know, you're right. Like any opportunity, and I think that way all the time, especially designers, you know, sometimes, like you said, they're thinking three steps ahead. Any any person that comes to you and says, you know, I want your help or I want you to work with me on this piece is is a privilege and is an honor yeah, to sure. be to be in that position to be asked, let alone if they pay you. Yeah. Uh, you know, then then you're, uh, you know, sort of, a, you know, the, the responsibility is real. Yeah. And I think you, you know, again, it's 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 a it's beautiful to hear you talk about design and art in that yeah. way. Because, because you could yeah. also not get the call and all those values could still be intact and you can't be mad. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I 
say oftentimes as well, is that the call could go to one of my famous friends that also do uh, art and design, and I can't be mad. I'm like, yeah. good. I, I'm happy to see that they, they got it right because there's only a small handful of us. And if it went to that person or that person or that person, yeah. that's just as good as you know, them coming to me. Yeah, I, I remember I was there was like a, a student uh, that I was talking to, and he said that he got a call from Nike, and uh, he he wound up turning it down because they you know they were trying to sort of uh, he said to take advantage of him and sort of weren't willing to pay him the rate. And I said, "What do you mean you're a student and they're Nike? <laughs> like you know you they were giving you an opportunity, and that opportunity could have helped you in so many different ways. And you know you have to." Take that opportunity and and be grateful for it because you don't know when the next one is gonna call. You know and, that's and, the definition yeah. Oh, yeah. of an idiot. <laughs> exactly. And I listen. I won't put this person on blast, but yeah, I just remember thinking that is the total opposite of how I've made my yeah. career. Is yeah. you know opportunities come and you have to appreciate them. And you know especially when you're a young uh, sort of uh, trying he to make it in the world. He should have jumped on that horse. Yeah, exactly. And put both his arms around it and held on. <laughs> and said, "I'll do it for free." Yeah. Yeah. And people say, "Oh, I don't want." to do work for free or i need to my value my worth and of course you need to get your worth but like i'm not saying you shouldn't but when you the va- the opportunity is to get a, a nike call. This, this is the thing yeah that young people have to take into consideration if you do something for free pro bono whatever it is nobody knows that but you you can tell people yeah. whatever you want. When you show them your portfolio, yeah. that's a paid client. Yeah. Even if you didn't get anything, nobody knows the difference. Yeah. And if you would have said to the to Adam Har- Horowitz and the Beastie Boys, uh, "Sorry, you know, this is my rate, and if you can't uh, meet that, I uh, you you might not be sitting here with the you know retrospective of your work in museums." It it's just one of the things that I try to remind the, the you know the team that I work with at the studio now is every time you're working on something that's an opportunity for you to show people what you're capable of all I'm doing is putting that opportunity in front of you but you still have to get up there and swing and hit a single a double a triple or yep. my preference a home run <laughs> I've used that same analogy here in the studio. I said, listen, you know, it's nice to hit doubles, but you know, when you hit a home run, you know what it feels like. And it, it's a, it's the best feeling in the world. And yeah, you know, to, to give people that opportunity, it's, it's, it's incredible. How does it feel to have this uh, sort of retrospective, you know, moment in your life where you see your work, you know, the entirety of everything you've made in a museum? Like, what is that feeling for, for someone? I well, can't imagine. it feels wonderful. Number one, to be anywhere. We'll we'll just start there, um, but the the idea that all of this stuff happened with no blueprint or roadmap is an even better feeling because it didn't happen for a lot of my graffiti and street art friends, and I I just feel so fortunate that I I get to wake up and determine my own fate every single day. If I need to sleep an extra 10 minutes, I can do that. And my lights are still going to be on. And I, I don't take it for granted one minute because 
there's so many other things that could have happened to make the wind blow in another direction. And so every time I start my day, I, 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 I literally live in gratitude because I know that so many of my friends couldn't crack the code for whatever reason. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much, Say, for being here. When we started the show, we just wanted to talk about design in a way that was you know, not stuffy or boring or sort of pinkies up and sort of break down some of the walls of, you know, kind of the uh, the, the white tablecloth of, of design. And I, I never in a million years did I think I'd get to talk to legends like you. So thank you so much uh, for being here and for, for telling all those incredible, inspiring stories. Uh, where can people follow you? Uh, TikTok? Uh, you know, where, where, where? <laughs> well, they can certainly go to my Instagram. It's... Uh, at Say Adams, uh, C E Y A D A M S. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, like all of them, all of the platforms, same handle. But uh, if you see somebody on there dancing, uh, you're not dancing. It, it, yeah, it's yeah, probably uh, created in AI. So. <laughs> I mean, listen. Go back to the uh, the original roots of hip hop, right? You know, b boying. Uh, you, you stayed true to the graffiti. You know, that was it. Well, you, I, you found know, your lane. I just always thought it's hard enough to do one thing. The idea that you could be a, a Renaissance person and do all these things as a teenager, yeah, and, and have it be good. It was hard enough just doing one thing. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, emceeing. I'm, I'm looking at the five elements of hip hop: which emceeing, DJing, breaking, graph, and beatboxing. You just pick That's one. A lot, you know. Yeah. Just go, you know, knock, go hit one and do it hard. Yeah, you know. Kevin, you got any thoughts? I feel like Kevin. I've. Uh, you I've know, been, I want to hear. I've just Kevin. been soaking it up. It's yeah, been yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a pleasure. Um, you ever think about picking up uh, this spray paint again and uh, tagging something? I am over sixty. I will just say that. We'll start right there. Second, <laughs> there, there's no upside. I, I get to paint every day, and coming off COVID, the. All I want to breathe is fresh air. That's true. I gave away cases of spray paint after COVID hit. I was like, you know what? I can use a brush and get the same effect. I don't need to, you know, do this anymore. And, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it's just what it is. We're just in this space where I'm not trying to run from anybody. I'm not trying to out-talk <laughs> anybody. I don't want to have anything but love come in my direction. That's fair. Beautiful. Uh, one of the things I read in, 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 our, in our research was all your years of graffiti, all your years of tagging thing, never arrested once. Well, you know, it, it's <laughs> not as many years as you would think. So, <laughs> so look at it like this. If even to be nice, let's say my career starts in 1972, 677 and it ends by 1983 84 when my son eric is born how many years is that you're young you should be able to do this quick 50 i grew up on calculators i don't know how to do math <laughs> 77 to 83 what is that oh yeah six yeah sorry it's, i it's, it's not it's not that long <laughs> it's not that long. So you that that but 
all those years, you never, no one, no one, no one got you. This is the thing. All you have to do is be faster than the slowest person in your crew. <laughs> and there so you your crew is about five, six people deep. What is the likelihood that you would be the slowest person? <laughs> that's, that's the way you got to look at pretty it. high. Pretty, uh, you know, again, you know, you know that's... Uh, when I, I was a teenager, mind, I all I did was run. All I did was run. And I'm give or take, you know, 10 pounds <laughs> different than when I was as a teenager. Yeah. Maybe. I wasn't being outrun by anybody. So... <laughs> The, the idea that a grown man yeah. could outrun a teenager, no. No. Do, you don't have that desire, though, to put your name, uh, say, say City? At, know, as, put that at, up at 60 years old still, <laughs> I, I could turn any job into that moment. Yeah. At any you know, like point in time, I could say, okay, I want to turn the clock back, and it's, you know, 1979 all over <laughs> again. It's like, even just saying it out loud, I'm like, no you're good you're good you're good you know yeah you like uh the technology you know uber and you know it's yeah a, you know like let's see what ai can do with it yeah you know? let, yeah do you ever uh in terms of ai do you see uh you know uh, people doing say adam's like uh work out there they take your style and they put it into a, a robot and god bless sell them it to <laughs> god bless them you, you know what i i'd be yeah, yeah. i'm curious to see if they could create something that has the feel and texture of paint, mm. like real paint. Yeah. It, you know, it's one thing for something to live in a digital world, but to bring it into the real world, like then that would be scary. Yeah. They're like at least like six to eight months away from doing that. Right. You know, right, right. That, that's, you know, don't worry about that. Right. Your job's safe, uh, right. you know, as a, as a fine artist, right. at least another week. Believe me, if they could create a machine that could mimic like mm -hmm. a hand gesture put a can of spray paint in it, you know, even as I'm saying it out loud, you're like, uh, starting yeah. to get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't yeah. seem like it's that difficult. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, that's the thing about AI that, you know, I've, I've always felt too. It's like, well, they, you know, they, they can't really do logos yet. They're really not doing packaging. You know, they can't really do, you know, brand identity quite yet, but it doesn't feel like they're not that far, but you the know, other they're far away from doing it. What, what, I've come to notice is the client doesn't always demand the most from the creator. And so, you know, oftentimes I've, I've gone to pitches and things and the person on the client side is 12 years old and they don't have enough history to even know what good looks like. Mm -hmm. That's the scariest thing about design. Yeah. When the person hiring the talent doesn't know what good looks like. That's how bad design creeps into everything. Because, you know, the client doesn't know what bad looks like. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say a single thing here. I would never disparage any of our clients. But they you're not naming names. We're, no, not, we're not naming they, names. Oh. They're all just so great. They just oh, come on, Alex. Minds. They see things, you know, in ways that I can't imagine. You know, I'm just here to help them. They're so smart and so talented. Um, no, it's it's true. You uh, yeah. You know that's that's the thing. Prompts or you know you, it's 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 about what someone isn't asking for. Sometimes that yeah. is what comes out. Question for you there that we didn't get to. 
is there any concept or anything that you worked on that you love that just didn't make it to the world? Like any, you know, something that you're just like, you st still think about at night and wish that. No, no, I, no, I don't have the space in my brain to reminisce about anything that did not happen. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> if I can remember what I have to do today. And, you know, all of that Linda, stuff. Linda, it's, yeah. ju it's just, you know, there, there's no you know, space where I'm thinking about something that hasn't happened. It's wow. just, you know. That's incredible. Yeah, no regrets, a life of just absolute iconic work and uh, a kind human being, um, you know? It's, it's, it's impressive, Sam. You really have cracked the code here. And uh, you're still doing it. Well, still doing it. Clients still calling, still, yeah, uh, still looking, that's, still got briefs. That's the, the job. Like I said, you know, grandkids, you know, I got work to do. <laughs> you, you know, they don't care about any of this stuff we're talking about. All yeah. they want to know is, is the ice cream going to be on the cone? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you got to do that graphic design, you know, got to pay the bills. But no, seriously, say it's been an honor and an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, 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 yeah, I think, again, like your work, it, it speaks for itself. But to hear some of the stories behind the work is, uh, it's outstanding. And uh, yeah, thank you for everything. And thank you for, uh, yeah, coming here to Greenpoint. Yeah. Back, thanks. back to the, uh, you know, old stomping grounds. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been so great. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.